So today I want to talk about Tai Chi, Tai Chi Chuan. A little bit of a departure from uh, the usual topics, because normally I'm talking about Qigong on this uh, podcast, or in season one, a lot of Chinese medicine, um, but mostly been focusing on Qigong so far. But a little bit about Tai Chi. So first of all, though, um, I, I had some complaints about the podcast, about uh, my language and my demeanor, my general meanness. So in this podcast, in order to counter that and keep people happy, I'm going to be a beacon of love and light. So please feel my, my universal love or something uh, <laughs> coming out of my compassionate soul and touching the individual perfect spirits of each of you watching this. Um, hopefully you feel blessed and loved. Thank you very much. So love, light and laughter before we start. Um, and uh, then I'll be very kind to you while I talk about uh, Tai Chi. So Tai Chi, uh, obviously, I'm not going to go into what it is or anything like that. I'm, I'm sure you know what Tai Chi is um, if you're listening to this. Mm. But mostly what I want to focus on is uh, common errors in Tai Chi. So nine common errors that I think people see in Tai Chi, because that's what you do in podcasts. You break things up into little sound bites and bullet points lists. I'm learning. So nine common errors in Tai Chi should be nice and catchy. So I'll go through these. Um, but of course, you should understand that uh, these are only my opinion. They're my, they are my opinion formed from quite a lot of years' experience, but they're still only my opinion. So what I might see as an error, other people might see as correct. And of course, in, in my opinion, that would make it mean they are incorrect. Um, but it, it's individual. Like Everyone has their own opinions. And uh, that's the beauty of Tai Chi. I mean, it can be expressed. It can be understood in countless different ways. Some ways might be more correct than others. Um, but still, everybody, you know, is trying to muddle their way through it. And I, I think that we should be careful in Tai Chi. We should be careful with absolutes anyway. Because I think what happens is your ideas uh, should change as time goes on. And definitely people who've been in the arts for a long time, things will transform. Um, and sometimes I, I look at people uh, doing things in Tai Chi and I see it and I think, hmm, that's not quite right. I don't think that's correct. But I have to remember two things. One, it's only my opinion. And two, actually that incorrection they're doing is often something that I used to do when I was younger or earlier on in my martial arts development training. So I kind of watch them and I think, well, that's not quite correct in my opinion, but it's probably correct for where they are. Like I think that people go through stages of development. And I hope that 20 years down the line, I look back at what I was doing now and go, oh, that's not quite correct because I'll have moved on and done something else. That's how it should be, like a constant process of transformation of evolution. The other thing I see as well is, is that sometimes people are snobby at others, you know, so it's look down on them because they can't get something right. They're like, ah, oh, they're doing that wrong. And um, you have to remember that it's not their fault, you know, necessarily. I mean, uh, sometimes it is because some people are just stubborn and, and won't change. But often it's not people's fault because you can only work with the information you have. And until you were given that information, you were normally doing it incorrect as well. And I think that's especially the, that is the case with Tai Chi because so much of Tai Chi does not follow logic at all. Tai Chi Chuan, people try to understand what Tai Chi is. I say it's a martial art like a common martial art, like a, a, Sha a common, I shouldn't say that, but you know, like a standard martial art, like Shaolin or Karate or something like that. And they took all of those sensible principles that those styles had, because they were very sensible principles, and they just flipped them around. That's it. They just did the opposite of what they were doing. I mean, it's, just, it's like every single principle in Tai Chi defies logic once you get to a, a certain stage. So um, these are my nine errors for Tai Chi. And ooh, also, I should say, I'm largely talking about the Yang system which also kind of means the Wu system as well, because it's a derivative of Yang. But I'm primarily talking about that. So some of these principles don't apply to Chen style, because uh, it has a very different way of expressing um, power to the Yang system. 
sometimes people think Yang is more, uh, uh, sorry, Chen is more sophisticated. It's not the case. Uh, Chen is not more sophisticated than Yang style. They're both very, very intricate, very, very complicated. Um, it just it depends on how deep you go into them. I think the intricacies in Chen style are a bit more obvious to see because they're quite bodily. Uh, rotations and turning the hips and joints and quiet and, and things like this, the silk reeling. The Yang style um, depth is harder to see. And because the Yang style depth is harder to see, I think it's often missed. Uh, which is an awful shame, but actually, if you know how to find it, the Yang style has a lot of depth. With regards to some of the other Sun styles, a little bit of a, an anomaly because it has a lot of the Jingyi mechanics in it. Uh, and then you have uh, the Wudang systems, which don't follow any of the same mechanics as Yang style either, really. Uh, they're quite different, quite unique in the way they work. They're more like, um, actually, they're more like external systems. Oh. I know that's unpopular for me to say that especially if you're a Wudang practitioner, but I don't see, um, but you have to be aware that I don't see external systems as a lesser thing. I just don't. I think they're also very, very intricate and very, very complicated. Um, they just work in a different manner. They work very much on uh, leverage and um, things like that. And, and the, the, the Wudang systems, uh, um, in my experience, work more like that. But I don't think that makes them lesser, not at all. Um, they just they just work differently. So very much I'm talking about the Yang and the Wu style systems particularly. Ooh. So the first error, the first error in my opinion, error number one, pushing into the ground with your feet. That's the first thing that I think is uh, an error in Tai Chi a lot of people do. So what I mean by this is if you wish to move forward, it makes sense that you push your foot into the ground behind you. If you've ever taken a stance and you want to move forward in the external arts, you push into the ground, you move forward, you want to move back, you have to push into the ground forwards, push ahead of you to move back, you know what I mean? So you push into ground the opposite direction of where you want to go. And it's a logical way to move. It's completely logical. Um, and if you've got a very good root, very good structure, very good stance, nice strong legs, it's a good way to develop power. When you strike to uh, push into the ground from the back leg and deliver the power from the foot to the hand is um, a sensible way for an external martial art to deliver power. I totally get it. But Tai Chi does not do this. Tai Chi does not uh, work in this way. And I see this uh, done over and over and over within the Yang style, but as soon as they do it, they're not adhering to one of the key um, aspects of Tai Chi, which is that the Qi originates, I should say the Qi originates under the ground, or the Jin originates under the ground, depending on who translates that phrase. Qi or the Jin originates under the ground at the feet, or originates at the point of contact of the ground, the feet, travels through your legs, is then directed by the waist, the Yao area, and then reaches the hands. So what they're implying is a line of power that goes from the foot through the center of the body, uh, through the waist and out to the hands. Sounds very logical because uh, external martial arts work like that, right? So if I'm going to practice karate or Shaolin or whatever, it doesn't matter, and I'm going to push into the ground with my back leg, that will turn my waist, that will drive the power out to the hand. I mean, it's a logical way of moving. And if I do it in a brush knee press and I push into the ground with my back foot, um, and turn my waist and extend my hand, the power will reach it. But the classics don't say power, they say qi or jin. Uh, like I say, depending on the translation, who's translating it, qi or jin. And that's not the same. So the, the qi, first of all, when I talk about qi, I don't mean something uh, mystical, because the other way I've seen it translated is the other end of the scale, the very sort of hippie-ish style of tai chi, where they think that they draw some magical substance up from around the ground, passes through the presumably kidney channels, I don't know, and then up and out through the sort of pericardium channel or whatever, something like this. And that's not true either. That's not really what Tai Chi is doing. Um, 
really when they want to talk about qi, they talk about the movement of something on the inside of the body. Uh, that's largely what they're talking about in Taiji, in my opinion. So when they sink the qi, what they're doing is they are releasing the body in such a manner uh, that there is a downwards pressure through the inside of the body that creates a series of changes on the way down to your abdomen or down to the feet, depending on where you're sinking to. And this um, sinking done correctly, active sinking, as I call it when I teach, causes all of the tissues to stretch out in a slightly circular uh, fashion. That's what happens. It's like uh, you're dropping something into a sheet of elastic, so it stretches. Uh, it's very much in line with a lot of the Yijin Jing, sinew uh, changing classics teachings. It's this Tai Chi has a very specific way of interpreting the Yijin Jing teachings. So when that drop happens and everything stretches, what will happen is after a while there'll be a buildup of pressure at the feet. So this build-up of pressure is not the same as just sinking really low and putting and dropping my mass like skeletally. What it actually means is you conduct your force down through the connective tissues of the body, the elastic, all the bits that aren't bone basically. You drop it through all the elasticated squishy bits down to the floor until all your mass gathers on the floor. Now you can't do this if you go very low into your stance. So if you drop very low and you make a sort of sort of really long athletic wushu type stands close to the floor, you can't actually do it. Because you, your body seems to have one of two choices. It can either drop its structure, its weight, through the skeletal system, which will go into hinges and things like that, um, or you can drop your weight through the soft tissues. And that's more like conducting your weight. And I know that's a little bit of a new age term, but it's kind of what it feels like. It's like when I drop my weight, it doesn't touch my bones. My bones feel light. My body feels like it floats. It's free and it's, it's ethereal, it's light. But the soft tissues are not light at all. The bones are free, but all of the tissues are stretching all the way down to the ground. And that is the, the cheese, the sinking of the cheese, stretching it all down to the ground. What happens then is at the point of contact with the ground, what I can do is I release the point of contact. And this is really where Sung comes in. So what happens is when I uh, say this is my foot, right, and I pressurize it down to the ground, Everything gets compacted. It's like the bone is like this, and the soft tissues are just pressed around the bone to the ground, to the foot. And when I release the point of contact with the ground, um, obviously when you relax something, it lengthens, yeah? So if I tighten my fist, and then I relax it, it lengthens. It opens, right? It makes more space. Like tension is contraction, and relaxation is opening. It's the same with the tissues on the bottom of the foot. So when I relax the point of contact with the ground, there's a lengthening of the tissues here. And what happens is that sets up a chain, like a kinetic chain that travels through the rest of the... T this is a foot, by the way. Sorry. So what happens is it sets up a kinetic chain of relaxation that comes up through the body. So it might be like a line of dominoes. When I press the domino on one end and it knocks all the line of dominoes down, essentially that's what happens when you release the point of contact with the ground. And as it starts to move through the leg, it will stretch the tissues away from the floor. And as it does this, we call this jin, or I call this jin. So jin to me is um, mobilization of the inside of the body according to qi, like so according to your process of release. Qi means to sink and then to release. That's essentially what it means. So that's the jin. So to fa jin, to express jin, uh, means for that stretch to come out of you so that that release power from the ground can come out to the point of contact with someone else through your hands into their arms or whatever. This is what's used in push hands. So it means that you have two opposite things. In the external martial arts, I push my foot into the floor to move forward in the majority of cases. In Taiji, I release the tension with the ground until a releasing stretch comes back up through the body and it travels through the body out to the hands. And this is the jin, the releasing stretch coming up through the leg. Then when it gets to the waist, I can manipulate the waist in such a way that it then directs that force out to the hands in different ways. 
Now in Taiji, especially in Yang style, they had 37 key postures. Um, that was understood, and lots of the forms are called the 37 form, even though they have way more than 37 postures, but they have 37 key shapes within them. And these key shapes basically are, are a skeletal frame, that's essentially what they are, uh, that you hang the tissues off so that when I release the uh, wave from the ground, the jin, the tissue is stretched from the ground and it stretches off of the frame of the bones in 37, I suppose, key ways to express power. And this becomes how, especially Yang style, uh, moves. The reason people can't find it, um, often this wave, is only for, well, two main reasons. One is they're still pushing into the ground with the feet and you can't relax something while you're pressing it into the ground. <laughs> so you push the foot down, you can't release. Um, the second reason is they haven't done enough sinking in the correct way. So if they sink in the correct way, the tissues will knit together towards the ground. So the whole body will knit together as a unit. So when I release one end of the tissues, it sets off this movement. If you haven't connected the tissues together, it's like standing the dominoes up in a line, but they're too far apart. So I knock one domino over, it doesn't reach the next domino, it's just embarrassing. One goes down, next one doesn't move. But if I connect all my body together, then what happens is they come closer together. So when I push one domino, that line travels through the body. And this is um, essentially how the power is mobilized uh, in Yang style, especially from the feet to the hands in the early stages. Later it changes, later it does change, um, but in the beginning that's what people should be looking for, is the release of point of contact with the ground. Ultimately the release of point of contact with the ground uh, is a metaphorical representation for a release of any pressure. So it's the same in push hands, when people touch your arms or touch your body, the point of contact is what is released, is, is one way of issuing jin, not the only way, but one way um, of taking that pressure. So when it's released, it sets up a chain reaction through the rest of the body that mobilizes jin. So I'm releasing the point of contact, releasing the point of pressure. In the form, you're doing the same thing, but the point of pressure is the ground because it's the part of your body that is pressed against the floor. So error number one is people shouldn't push into the ground with their feet in a sort of muscular fashion, very physical fashion. They should release the point of contact with the ground until the counter stretch up from the ground mobilizes the chi, mobilizes the body. In Taiji, they say that which goes down goes up, or that which goes up goes down, or that which is down relies on up, so on and so on, different ways of wording it. But ultimately, they're talking about two opposing forces moving at the same time. So really, for me in Taiji, it's not the push into the ground, but it's the sinking of the chi, that is the down, the release, until everything goes down and songs and touches the floor. And then when the point of contact is pressurized, I can release that point of contact, and that is the up that mobilizes through the body. It is a lengthening on the inside that mobilizes the chin. So that's the first error. The second one, relaxation is not collapse. This is a, another big error in Tai Chi, that when people say relax, well, they shouldn't even say relax, they should say song, actually, which is not quite the same, um, not quite the same meaning. But when they say relax in Tai Chi, often people will collapse. And, and what will happen is when you teach people, they'll switch off. So they have on, tense, off, relaxed. On, stressful day at the job, off laying in the bath relaxing and nothing in the middle you know there's there's no there's no gray area there's just on and off and it's quite funny when you teach people they're like relax no no no, too relaxed and they can't find that bit in the middle now it's because they mistake relaxation with collapse and you see this in lots of people's tai chi some people are not relaxed they're up they hold their structure and they look like they're on stage performing or something like this and then other people are, are just slumped and collapse and Doing Tai Chi actually looks like it's aging you, you know? It's like, if I keep sinking, keep sinking, keep sinking, keep sinking, then eventually I'll end up in the grave. I think it just speeds up 
uh, speeds up your demise. So I don't think that's very good. You're better off being tense and up. At least it keeps you a, sort of alert and a bit more physical, you know. But the sinking shouldn't be collapsed because your skeletal system shouldn't go. I mean, this, this is always key to me when I teach people, um, is you relax around the skeleton. So the frame of the skeleton is held, but it's not held with tension. It's just kind of held in space. I don't know, with your mind. I don't know, just hold your skeleton there. And then the relaxation or the song is the release of the muscles and the flesh off of the bones so that they stretch. So if you think of your skeletal system like a big frame, your soft tissues, your flesh, your organs, your muscles, everything, everything that's squishy, maybe not your organs, maybe you don't want them to collapse, but everything that's squishy must hang off of, off of the skeletal uh, structure. So it's kind of like hanging wet clothes up on a frame or something. So when I say um, to relax or release, I do not mean the skeletal structure. I mean the muscles and I mean the flesh. So that when the muscles pull off the flesh, it stretches, um, it stretches everything. So this is where they say bones up, flesh down. It's, it's kind of the saying, you know, skeletal system up, yeah, hold it held up, structured, flesh down, sinking. So when you relax, you sink the flesh. Now what happens is the space between the flesh and the bones, all the little stringy fibers, they all start to stretch. Yeah? And that's what knits you together. It does other things too, but it certainly knits the body together. Because we're not trying to knit together the joints or the bones, we're trying to knit together all of the elasticated tissues across the body, and this is why we relax the muscles. Now if you collapse, what that essentially means is the bones are going with the muscles. But if I don't collapse, the muscles fall off, but the bones stay where they are, there's a stretch. If I collapse and the bones go with the muscles, then there's nothing stretching, because they're both, this is bone, this is muscle, and if I collapse, they go together. If I hold the bone and drop the muscle, then this thing between them stretches. Now you're starting to find the inside of the body and connect it all together. And a lot of people have made this error um, of collapsing the structure in this way. The, you, like the bones, going back to that, I suppose, the bones should not, um, uh, what do you call it, stack. You shouldn't stack the bones. It's another thing you hear in Tai Chi, stack the bones, stack the bones from the ground. Never stack the bones. Float the bones. <laughs> the opposite, bones up, flesh down. So I don't stack one bone on top of another because again that encourages gravity to take your skeletal system and lead to a form of collapse. What I do is I open the bones. More space in the bones but more sinking of the flesh. So the bones float. It is the flesh and the connective tissues that stretch. If your bones collapse, you will be conducting your mass, your weight, whatever, I don't know, your, your body power. You'll be conducting it through the bones to the ground. Yeah, you're stacking the bones and, and the bones are carrying the weight. But if you float the bones and you sink the mass and you sink the flesh, your, your mass will conduct through the soft tissues to the ground, through the elasticated parts of the body instead of the skeletal system, and that sets up the sinking of the chi that leads to the releasing of the chi and ultimately leads to jin. It's a separation of these two. It's quite amazing. You wouldn't even believe it. There's no logic to it, is it? Like I can conduct my body weight down through my skeleton. Well, that makes sense. But can I conduct my body weight almost like a fluid, down through the tissues to the ground. That doesn't really make sense, but you can, and that's how Tai Chi works. And I told you, Tai Chi does not follow logic, not at all. The third one, error three, ding, ding. The, the, um, the error people make is they think that age is irrelevant in Tai Chi, okay? And that is not true. Age plays a major factor in Tai Chi. But I'm not talking push hands competitions or anything like that, because I don't, I don't really um, care about all that kind of stuff. It's not my interest. Uh, age is relevant. What I mean is people think you shouldn't change the form according to your age. You should. Of course you should. It should change according to your, your age. 
So if you're, I mean, if you're in Tai Chi for the short term, maybe not, who cares? Like, just do it. If you're doing it for a few years for a bit of fun, do it. But if you're looking at it as a lifelong thing, you're taking the long game on Tai Chi, yeah, your age is really important. When you're younger, everything should be bigger. Um, the frame should be stretched out. Not ridiculously. You don't want to look like those wushu guys in the silky pajamas because you are too stretched out and then it's like so big that Tai Chi's principles can't apply because at that size, no matter how macho you might look with your balls scraping on the floor or something like that while you're doing a stance, you, actually your tissues can't sink in the correct fashion. And I've seen people um, say this and they go, yeah, but look at this really impressive form. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's impressive from an athletic point of view. Um, but it's not correct because I can't because you can't sink the flesh. But I'm not um, sort of bemoaning those really low to the ground forms because out of any kind of sort of jealousy because I can't go that low because I can. I'm very very flexible actually. But I'm bemoaning them because um, they're just not correct. Uh, you, there's a certain size you can go to and there's a certain size you go beyond. Actually, you can't really adhere to the principles uh, anymore as much as you might like to. But that being said, younger people should probably go to the limit of that size, you know, that's what they should do. So that they're constantly working the body. The body is very yang, they've got lots of energy, they should stretch that out. And is it borderlining on external arts then? Well, a little bit, yeah. So maybe what we could say is younger people should do if they're doing an internal art, 50% internal, 50% external, maybe 70% internal, 30% external, I don't know. But I think they should do that, especially in the youth. As you get older, bodies change. We can deny it, but bodies change. Bodies are less flexible, they don't fix as quickly. Uh, just, it's just different, isn't it, when you get older, like things change. Uh, and the form should shrink, uh, it should become smaller, and maybe the percentage of internal versus external should go up. And gr certainly as I age, I'm not that old, but I'm middle aged at the moment, I suppose. And what happens is my form is becoming, should move, even though I could mobilize the internal forces before, I still looked after the external a lot because I didn't want to age too quick and I want to look after my body. I didn't want to be a sort of pathetic. And, uh, so what I did was I kept the externals and then gradually as I start to age, the internal and external levels out and there's a bit more internal. And then in another 20 years, I go way more internal. And by the time I'm 90, if I make it that far, if I survive the COVID and end of the world and microchipping and whatever else is coming, I don't fucking know, doom and gloom times. Hang on, this is a love and light podcast. I apologize. Once I make it further into the age of Aquarius, and open all of my chakras, and I reach the age of 90, uh, then everything will be very, very small in the way I move, and everything will be very, very internal, and the mechanics will be very, very small. Now, does that mean that I can't do the internal mechanics now? Well, I could, but actually, I don't think it's good for your health uh, to, I mean, sorry, should I not do the really small frame, tiny little frame now? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's good for your health. I think to do some is fine, but to do it too early is kind of denying what the body needs age-wise. And the same way, if I think uh, an older person, um, very elderly, tries to do the large stretched out frames, I think that's a mistake as well. Um, because it's not, we live, the problem is we live in a cult of youth, isn't it? So if you don't do it like young people, you're half in it, seems to be the view in our society. And that's a load of fucking bollocks. I was always told when I was younger that younger people train hard and older people train correctly. <laughs> that's kind of the idea. So what I mean by that is like younger people should stretch the body, work the body, open it up, strengthen it. Older people study the effectiveness of the techniques and the efficiency and, 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 t and like refining all the little alignments and all those kind of things because those are the things that are going to support and nourish the health of the body in older age rather than tearing it open with low stances. Because I've seen people make both mistakes. I've seen younger people training like they're 90 and then wondering why 
they're gradually becoming doughy people with no muscular strength and no power in what they're doing. And, and, and then their health fails ultimately and they get sort of sick and weedy looking. And well, there's a reason for that. It's because you're training like an elderly person at the wrong age. And then I've seen older people training really big and strong and low and, and they just shred all their joints. They shred all their joints. So it's bad for that person's health too. But if the younger person trains with a bit of oomph in it, then it builds up their power. If the older person trains with a little bit more uh, contraction on the form, uh, on the size of the form, and correct internal principle, their health flourishes too, and, and both people are healthy and everyone's happy. And I don't see why that's forgotten in Tai Chi that you know we should still train according to our age. I've seen uh, you know there's some famous masters that came over to the West and they were old, you know, and you see videos of them elderly, and and they're doing it very small, very very correct, very very efficient. Definitely not incorrect to be that size because all the power is moving, everything is there. But they're just not hyperextending everything because obviously they're a bit older and everything's contracting. And then I see 20-year-olds <laughs> copying that size for the form and that is so incorrect, it's unbelievable. That person, I guarantee that old 80-year-old master didn't look like that when they were 20. They're probably technically less correct, I would hope, because there should be some improvement as they age but they were probably physically uh, a lot bigger with what they're doing because they were training for their age. You know? So don't, don't copy the old people if you're young, don't copy the young people if you're old, and neither is worse than the other. It's just different stages of life. Forget that whole cult of youth crap, especially in Tai Chi. I mean, we should all know that the cult of youth does not apply in Tai Chi. Uh, what are we on? Four. The fourth major error is do not make circles with your body. That one sounds odd. Let me explain that one. So a lot of people think they have to make the body circular. They round the chest and curve the arms and curve the back. And I don't mean uh, spirals as in movements. If you're, you know, if you're silk reeling and things like that, that's a little different. But I mean the shape of the body. So you see people studying Zhang and studying ward off left. They're trying to curve their chest, and, but like they're trying to bend their bones or something, you know. It's not correct. Definitely not. The structure of your body is based on your skeleton, your skeleton, ultimately, like how you place your bones and the shape of the skeleton. And they say in Tai Chi uh, that the body should be like earth, the form should be like earth, which is actually square in cosmology, in um, Taoist cosmology. Probably named from square because if you look down from a mountain, you can see all the fields. And look like a, uh, look like a bit like this carpet, sort of all laid out in squares. If you've ever been to China, and it's actually not very neat squares, but <laughs> squares everywhere. But um, the other reason is because Earth represented form and square represented the number four, which in Taoist cosmology was the equivalent of three-dimensional because it represented the four compass directions. So everything was square about form. So there's a lot of different reasons for that. And they say that the, the energy moves like heaven. Heaven was considered circular. So what we look at that, let's, let's just simplify it. Yeah. So uh, circular representing one, because there's no corners, one meaning the number of heaven, extreme yang. So in... What that means is the body should be square and the energy should be circular. Yeah. So, the body should be square. <laughs> what I mean by that is angled. Uh, your, your body works on hinges and angles and that's how the body should be. Or rather, that's how the skeleton should be. And what I see is people trying to bend the bones in their forearms and things to make these unnatural circles. Bending in the chest and curving the back and all of these things. To, as soon as you make those unnatural shapes, all that happens is you create tensions and shortnesses across the body. Um, and for someone who does bush hands, when I touch someone and they've spent all that time trying to curve the body into a circle, you can just touch all those little, you can feel, you can grab a person's power and structure through all of the little contractions they've built all the, over their body through this unnatural shape and they're trying to make. Take the circle out of your chest, ah, sit up so it's natural. Put an angle in your elbow and, and don't worry about it. 
because the skeletal system should be angular. We're not trying to make an unnatural shape, just stand normally. The energy should be circular. What do I mean with that? Do I mean the chi, magical fluid? No. Do I mean auric field like a sphere? No, not actually really good. No. What I mean is the, like the jinn, which remember is the mobilization and the shape of the soft tissues, right? Should be circular. So what it means is as the pung arises, okay, the expansion of the body in a certain way, around the bones, the tissues start to make themselves circular. So the round shape comes around the bones. So the bones are the solid bit, and all of the other stuff starts to round itself and actually spiral and wrap around the bones, and that's the jinn. So first of all, before we can round anything, we have to sink it so that it stretches and open up. We have to separate the muscles from the bones. And then after that, we have to mobilize it in a certain way so that the tissues can become circular around the bones so that when you sink, everything opens in a circular fashion in the body. But the skeleton is natural. If you round the skeleton around the shape of the structure, trying to be as round as you can, like a giant snowball or something while you're doing Tai Chi, um, you can't actually sink the tissues because you're in such an unnatural shape, it can't happen. And this is especially prevalent for Zhang people, which is why Zhang people are some of the stiffest people you ever meet quite often, unless they've done it well. But if they haven't done it well, they're very, very stiff because of all this unnatural shaping. So we shouldn't try to make circles with the body, with the structure. We allow the tissues to shape themselves around our skeleton. That's where the circle comes in. I'm aware that not a lot of people a lot of people won't agree with me on that. But as I said at the beginning, the caveat is, it's my opinion, based on my experience. And I did round my body for a long time when I was younger, and it, it didn't work. <laughs> I wasn't round enough. I was too skinny. Number five, the fifth error people think. Standing is not needed. This is not true. Standing is needed. So what I mean by that is not being able to stand up. Um, I mean that static postures are not needed. And this, this is a whole thing in Tai Chi where people say standing won't do anything for you, it's just a waste of time, just do it all in the movements, do it in the form, it's all in the form, it's all in the form. It's not all in the form, <laughs> it's only in the form if you put the correct principles in the form. And one of the most important things uh, for Tai Chi is obviously learning to sink. Now it's very, very difficult to learn to sink while you're moving. Um, in the correct way. So you have things like the Wusong Shen Fa within the Huang style system and the swings in many other systems. You've got swings that come over the head and swings that come around the side and swings that do that. And a lot of these are about loosening the body and, and sinking. Um, but I would say that none of them are as effective as standing. Not really. Uh, maybe, maybe you can only understand the Wusong Shen Fa when you've done a bit of standing. I don't know. Maybe something like that. I'm not sure. But if you, if you look at what all of the past masters have said, like, you know, almost without fail, because there's probably exceptions, isn't there? I haven't carried out a detailed survey. <laughs> well, generally the consensus is that someone needs to learn how to stand and has to do standing practice for a long time. So is standing practice useful? Yeah, it's the be all and end all, certainly at the beginning for building power in Tai Chi, but only if you know how to stand. So I think what happens is a lot of time people are shown how to stand, they're just given a posture and told to stand there. Does that work? No. <laughs> Definitely not. Of course it doesn't. Because uh, you, you've not been shown any principles in the standing. I get it. So no. And you go, even though, I remember going to Chen village. I went to Chen Jiao and I got, I got in and uh, I was really keen on learning the Chen village system. And in the end, I ended up changing to the Hunyuan style. But I went to the Chen village and uh, they showed me some standing postures. And it was just like, put your arms like that, put your legs like that. All right, okay. And I understand I was a beginner, you know, a new guy. So why would they show me any details? So I did it. I stood like that. I was used to standing, so it was okay. Um, but then I met some people who'd been there a lot longer, and they were, I was like, do you have any more details in the standing? No. 
No, they didn't have any more, uh, nothing at all. There, there was nothing. And so they hadn't been advanced in their information. And okay, maybe you could say they're not in-door students, or maybe they'd been disrespectful and they didn't deserve the teacher. I don't know, I got no idea. But certainly they didn't have any further instruction, even though they've been there months. Um, and consequently, they weren't getting anything out of the standing. What they were getting was stiffer, which they were mistaking for strength because everything was tightening and they feel stronger. And if you're stiffer, you feel stronger, but you're not stronger, you're stiffer. It's not the same, you're more brittle. So the standing is useless if you don't know how to stand. But if you understand what standing is for, which actually a lot of it at the beginning is pretty much what I've been talking about here. It's about the separation of the um, bones from the tissues. That's what that's about. And it's learning how to uh, sink effectively so that the separated muscles from the tissue stretch in the right way. So they connect with the ground and then that point of pressure ties your elastic tissues together into one unit. I mean, there's, there's other reasons for standing, but at the beginning, that's the prime concern, the separation of bones from muscles. And, and a lot of people will kind of screw that up because they'll either collapse at bones, which as I said, is bones and muscles moving together, or they'll be really tight, which you can't then sink the muscles because you're tight and they're contracted. So if people treat standing as like a stamina exercise, gotta stand here until something happens, it won't happen because you're actually tightening everything. So standing is funny because it looks like you're not moving. But remember, there's always movement in stillness. See, that was almost very profound. Because when you're standing, the movement is actually the study of the release process through the posture. So actually, there's quite a, certainly for beginners, there's a very dynamic process going on where I'm studying that release and this alignment and letting go of that muscle. And it's not mental stillness. It's not meditation. Later, that is the case, but at the beginning it's not. It's the study of the process of release to separate the bones from the tissues till they touch the ground. And as soon as I've taken people who've not understood this, because some do, some don't, um, of course, and, you, and that's not, again, that's not what you'd be disparaging. You can't know what you don't know. It's not nobody's fault, is it? But when I've had people who don't know this, I've shown them just how to do it very quickly. Da, 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 try this. Oh, we'll adjust your posture there. Just try releasing there, let go. Can you feel that stretch? Yeah, bingo, good. As soon as I've shown them that, people have accelerated incredibly quick through the standing practice. And, and then they've understood why standing is absolutely needed for Tai Chi if you wish to develop Jin. If you just want to move your body around, do a form, no need. But if you want to develop um, the correct kind of energy for Tai Chi, uh, then yes, standing is needed, most definitely. Pung will never arise without standing. Again, there's probably exceptions to the rule, isn't there? But as far as I'm aware, <laughs> Pung will not arise without standing. Should always be careful of those exact rules because there's always outliers, but I don't think outliers, these anomalies, really count as evidence of, of anything because they're anomalies, right? By the very nature of the term anomaly. Um, what was that? Five. Uh, so six. So people mistake, the common error is people mistake fa li for fa jin, or um, the, the release of jin is fa jin. So as I said, the, the release process that mobilizes the inside of the body uh, to create the expression of jin. Um, fa jin in Tai Chi, uh, in Yang style and uh, Wu style especially, should be invisible, should be very, very subtle, not able to be seen on the inside. Um, fa li, to me, is when people jerk their joints open. <laughs> and I can't even do it very well because it's not my style. I used to be able to do it when I was younger because uh, I was involved in styles that used a lot of that. So, bang, popping the body open and stuff, but I, I don't do it anymore. Um, but it's not fa jin. When you see people do this, they, they 
do it better than me. I apologize. And oh, shaking it. And the body twangs and shakes because they've seen Chen Chao Wang do it or something, or they've seen some of the Wudang guys do it. And, and, and they say, yeah, this twang, this sort of vibration that goes through is the jin. And you hit people with it. It's not true. Actually, Fali is not Fajin. All you're doing is shaking open the joints, relaxing the muscles, and tugging the tendons. And people have told me it's more, but it's not. And there's no Jin in it, not really. Okay, hmm. step back. There is Jin if you use the overall Chinese meaning for the word and the, the external word. Jin means like a power, power, like an expression of power. So you see people arguing about this on Tai Chi Facebook groups because they say Jin just means power. So that's Jin. That's Jin. A boxer's got Jin. Well, yeah, if you use the literal use of the term. But in Taiji, especially in the Yang system, they're using Jin in a very um, jargonistic fashion. Like they use Jin to mean something specific. They're not using Jin in the same way that you might use Jin in normal conversation. Or something. They're using it Jin specifically to refer to something in Taiji, right? So what they mean by the Jin in Taiji, like is the mobilizing under the action of release. They do not mean the fast jerking of the joints. Definitely not. And that's not how it works. And Fali, this fast joke in the joints. Oh my God, this is going to be controversial. I apologize in advance. Please don't hate me. But Fali is the weakest thing you'll ever be hit with in your life. Trust me, it's terrible. I've been hit with Fali so many times. The, the shaky twang stuff by great masters. And they've hit me with it. It's not strong at all. I went to, I remember going to one master. Um, I won't name them actually, but I went to a master in Southeast Asia who everybody said had this devastating power. So I was like, all right, I go see that. That's in, that's that's uh, interesting, especially as a, a young idiot. I went to see it. So that was what attracted me. So I went to see this person, and I got there, and their students were there, and their students were like, "Wow, it's devastating!" Like I was hit by this power, and I coughed up blood, and I was like thinking, "Wow, this is really strong." And this other one was like, "I got hit by this power, and I just fell on the floor and." Couldn't shit for a week, they didn't say that. But you know what I mean? There was all these stories, like these incredible stories from the students. And it was before I met Amasa, and I'm like, oh, this is really incredible. Some of these big guys, you know, and I'm thinking, whoa, a lot of power. So I went to train with Amasa, and I did a little bit of training. I did a day before I sort of thought, maybe now is a polite time to ask to be hit with the you know, sort of devastating Farley power. Um, so they agreed, actually. So I was like, okay, cool. So I stood neutrally to take it. Uh, not a stance, not protected. Now you've got to realize if you stand neutrally to take folly or, or any strike, it's going to hurt more. And this is a cheap trick used in Chinese martial arts. A ma just to warn you, a martial art teacher will demonstrate their power by giving you a light tap from a small distance away. And it will, oh, it hurts incredibly. Like, oh, it's so damaging. It's so, and it hurts. Most, most, most of the reason that it hurt was because you were stood still in a very relaxed, neutral position. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how the body is set up. And I've seen martial arts teachers do this. Stand here and take a punch. Okay. Obviously, it's going to be devastating while you're stood like this. Now, I'm not saying dodge or move, but even if I just sunk a little and just let my body contract a little bit, all the general defenses of the body kick in. And then when you're hit by the strike, it doesn't hurt that much. Not really, because your body is in a different state. You imagine being a boxer, walking into a ring, standing like this and taking a punch. Okay, not even dodging, just taking a full, you see a boxer take a full-on punch to the head, they're all right. They're probably hurting a bit, but they're okay. But if that same boxer took that punch while they were in this position, twiddling their thumbs, it would be a very, very different result because they are stood passively, they are stood neutrally. The body and the mind are in a different state. And martial arts teachers will use this as a cheap trick, and I've seen it so many times over the years. Look at my power, and they'll hit you while you're, basically, they may as well be, hitting you on the back of the head while you're reading a book or something. Obviously, it's going to hurt. You're not expecting it.
So anyway, what I did was I went to, I stood neutrally. I gave them the neutral passive position because I wanted this power to penetrate through my body. So they hit me. It was like a bit of a sting. I think they caught my nipple. So it was a little bit like, ooh, don't like that. But not much going on. I'm not a big guy, you know. So I was like, mm, okay, uh, I don't know what to do. Do I politely pretend it hurt? Do I <laughs> death rattle or something? I don't know. So then they put a, a, a mat mattress, maybe it was like a judo, I don't know, something thick on the wall behind me because they thought maybe that I would need to hit the mat. But actually, normally when they put springs on the wall, it's a subliminal thing because if you have a mattress on the wall and you know it's there, you're already, your mind's kind of like pulling back. I showed some students this actually because I did a, I sort of threw one a little bit and then I put a, a, a mat on the wall and then threw them. And do you know what? They flew a lot further. <laughs> they flew a lot further and they hit the mat. And the reason they did that wasn't because I used more power or because the mat had a magic magnetic quality. But it's just because subliminally you know there's something there. It's almost like a comfort, like a, uh, and also you know you're supposed to hit the mat. So you, you'll fly back. People will not do that if that mat is not there. So or often they won't, you know, so there's a very subliminal thing about it. So they put this mattress up to launch me back and again was walloped, nothing. I just, I politely uh, threw myself back on the, on the mat so as not, not to lose face. But it was very, very weak. And that is the same experience that I've had from almost everybody who does Fali and I have been hit by some of the people that they say are really devastating. Um, but if those same people hit me with follow-through power or a snap like you would in external martial arts or, or a normal jab or a hook or an uppercut, some of those people would have had a lot of power. And the Farley twanging stuff is weaker than the, than the punch. And the main reason is because it locks. It locks. And it's because it was never meant as a strike. It was meant as a training aid. So a lot of the southern systems use it because that twanging tugs the tendons to form a stronger plasticity into your body shape. But you're never meant to hit like that. It's the equivalent of having an arrow, pulling back the bow and letting go of the bow and letting the arrow fly out, but the arrow's got a bit of string on it. And just as it's about to hit the target, you pull the string and just pull the arrow back. And that's what Farley is. So you get all these fantasists spending all day shaking their limbs out. Actually, they're just training a very, very weak strike. Um, it's not correct. But it's definitely not what Fajin is. The jin should be mobilized through the soft tissues. I'm aware that everything I just said then was actually quite controversial to a lot of people. Farley has a, let me, let me um, uh, <laughs> backtrack <laughs> for an apologetic way, because I'm being nice on this podcast. Farley has, um, this jerky movement has a place, like I said, because it pulls and it tugs the body and it puts like a little tensile strength through and it builds the plasticity of a shape into your body. So when I bang and I bang, bang and I repeat, I repeat, I repeat, it's built into it. But to say I'm sort of wow, using these jerky forces to put the shape in my elbow, doesn't mean I hit like that. It means I hit like that, like with a normal elbow. It means the, the, the tissue shape is being built by the folly, but that's not how I strike. Uh, they're not the same thing. Don't mistake a training process, a training principle, for an actual uh, strike. Yeah. And also, if you're going to be hit by a martial arts teacher, if you're going to stand neutrally to take it, just remember that it probably adds about 30%, plucking that number off the top of my head, probably adds about 30% to their power, 40, 50, who knows? It adds a lot of strength just because you're stood neutrally. Drop a little, take a little bit of a stance, or not even a stance,